This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here, by golly, and Coach Hogg Locker Room for the next few minutes before we launch into the rest of our program. And we are sitting in the bullseye, as you will know, of the coming storm, the name of which I can't even pronounce. But anyway, 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 here we are in the Melton Law studio. Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, and they are a full firm law firm, full service, and of course protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Always use a local, if you can, home security, and crime prevention is the best and, of course, we are sponsored by all the great sponsors you see scrolling across your screen. Shoot GTR, Style Cuts, Judy Ocasio, Allstate Insurance, Hoser Medical, a lot of people. You'll see them. We'll talk about them at the halftime of the show, which will be right on the spot at 930. Then we'll have our guest today, who is an expert on historic preservation. And we're going to talk about that and the Gainesville budget and leadership or lack thereof and the Gainesville city politics. We'll get into that a little bit after Coat Hall Locker Room and a few run-up stories to that one. Well, you know how it works. The high school football season, one of the things I want to talk about is more and more you're seeing those games streamed, which I think is great you will actually be able to hear local guys in the press box talking about these games like Hawthorne and Newberry. I believe our own Tim Martin is in the press box on the Newberry games. And these teams are really, you know, high school football on Friday night is an exciting thing to go to. Just for example, um, Eastside beating Inlet Grove 28 to 9 this weekend. Bradford beating Baker County 12 to nothing. Swanee 33 uh, over uh, Flagler Palm. These are all exciting local sports events you can go to. Hawthorne 26 over Middleburg. Hawthorne is really rocking. They're doing really, really well. Uh, Union County has always had a tough football team. 43 over Interlocking zero. Gainesville High, where I used to coach years ago, unfortunately, it's fallen on hard times. Really, the dominant dog in the room is Buholtz. Games high. They haven't had a winner in a long time. They've got a former player, former pro guy, Ian Scott there. But his first time out, he got beat. Uh, it's unfortunate, but Games high lost. Uh, they lost uh, 34 to 20 to Brandon River. Um, I know the pride that's there. I know what people expect. But, you know, it's going to be tough when you got Buholtz, really the big dog right now on the block. Uh, Newberry, 68, Santa Fe, 10. You know, all the towns are 10 miles apart. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Newberry, 10 miles uh, to High Springs area. High Springs, 10 miles to uh, uh, Alachua. That's because once upon a time, that's as far as you could go in a day's journey on horseback reasonably. Really, that's why the towns are laid out about 10 miles apart. So we um, have got these rivalries and these schools that have grown up in these communities, and it's a fun thing to participate in. So check out high school football. It is a, if you don't get shot, that's one of the bad things happening in Jacksonville and even in the pros. It's a nasty world we're running out there right now. The Miami Dolphins indicated 
a little bit during their preseason game that football, which is a violent sport, no question about it, that's what attracts people to it, has got a little bit of caution in it. And that's a dangerous thing in a sport where you can't worry about being hurt. The Miami Dolphins stopped their game with the Jaguars a few nights ago when the Miami Dolphin working right receiver, David Davis, was carted off the field, but suffering an injury. He was not cold. We used to call that getting a long-distance phone call. That's what we called it. So-and-so got a phone call, long distance, meaning he got his bell rung. And we didn't think anything else of it. Now, rightfully so, because we see guys who played under those conditions, dementia, can't remember their name, head injuries. The NFL union has been after this for a long time. Dr. Cade even tried inventing a helmet that would eliminate all this kind of stuff if he could. And he never was successful in that. Of course, he was very successful in the Gatorade. So we had a game that was called off because we've seen these players, one collapse of a heart attack, and that player is now back on the field or some heart condition. And the collision with the helmets and the pads and all that are really profound. And both coaches said, you know, let's stop it now. Now, they're not going to call off a regular season game. You can bet on that because there is, and a lot of people will, there's just too much going on in those seasons with those high-priced players. And they all step on the field knowing that they have that risk accompanying every moment they're on the field. But keep an eye on it. It is a little bit of caution built in, if you will, to of the world of pro athletics. You know, Jason Gay writes for the Wall Street Journal. And he's written a column, and I think he's spot on in a lot of things about the college game. You know, college football is no longer, or ever will it ever be, the raw, raw college game it was. For example, when I came to the University of Florida, it was all the social life, the fraternities and sororities, student body. We all knew the players. They were in the classes next to us. Uh, we'd known them frequently from high school. They had scholarships, but they weren't paid. And a um, few of them here at Florida went on to the pros. You had to be very, very good in those days. And one of them ever got a shot at the pros. We were awed. Now, of course, they're all wanting to go to the pros and don't much care about college. So there's a couple, three things that Jason Gay says are very annoying, very annoying about college football. And maybe you agree with them, some of them, all of them, or none of them. Um, He says, let's start with night games. Um, He thinks there are too many college football night games. Um, Understandably, that's an exciting thing for television. And it's an exciting thing to see the lights and the play under the lights. But it's not college. This is his point. No longer is it college. College games always took place in the afternoon on a Saturday. And that would, I don't ever remember a night game for the University of Florida Gators unless it was a bowl game. But television has called and come knocking on the door. Television has even made 11 a.m. kickoffs. Now, those do annoy the spunk out of me. I can't, for 11 a.m. kickoff, you've got to be knocking back Buddy Mary's from the moment you get up. Or mimosas or something. Because that game is upon you when you're normally on your second cup of coffee. He doesn't like 11 a.m. kickoffs. He doesn't like night games. And he doesn't like games on other days than Saturday. 
Saturday. I agree. Saturday's football day. Well, my golly, the Gators are going to play Thursday, this coming Thursday. Are you ready? I mean, come on, we're supposed to be in the library when they're playing. Oh, well. It is not part of, as Jason Gay's life point here, it's not part of the organic, what he calls the organic flow of campus life. Jason, there ain't no such thing anymore. Zoom and uh, all kinds of things have busted up organic, if there ever were such a thing, uh, campus life. The gamblers have infiltrated the game. They want a Wednesday night game, for God's sakes, an 8.30 p.m. Wednesday night game when you really should be in the library. They want it on TV. They want it something that is uh, money-making betting on the game blatantly and overtly. So his complaint is, you want, don't we want sunlight in a stadium filling up leisurely with people who have tailgated mid-morning and are drifting out to the game at a 2 p.m. kickoff? You know, here at Florida, we've had noon kickoffs in the brutal sun in the first game. Now, the other thing that Jason Gay is not in favor of, and I got to agree, and we've actually had this discussion about Jacksonville, neutral site games, okay? Neutral site? So we go to Jacksonville. Because they want the game in what they call South Georgia. And it's a big money maker. But we're actually talking about, do we need to do that? The one year they were renovating the stadium, we played Georgia at Georgia. And Steve beat the heck out of them there. And the fans left at halftime. Now, you got to admit, that's in the college spirit. You take your team up to Athens, you beat the heck out of them, and the fans leave and go home at halftime. I think his score was 50 to something at halftime. He hates Georgia. Well, neutral site games, according to Jason Gay, are the pits. The students turn it, for example, into a big drunk. It's the largest outdoor cocktail party. They brag about that. Um, the campus energy is nowhere to be found. So he doesn't like that. Now, at the same time, he says, really, does any college football athletic director care about this? No, they don't. They don't really care about it. The bigger the contest also the longer it takes. This, I think, is absolutely true. I sat next to the guys who would razz the man, poor guy, in the red hat, who would come out and start the clock during an obligatory timeout for ads. And they would razz him, get off, nobody likes you. Nobody did like the guy. But you couldn't speed that moment up. He had a clock. It was tied to TV. So we stood around and twiddled our thumbs. The game lost its momentum. I mean, come on. I could have gone and gotten seven hot dogs. It was horrible. That, Jason Gay, and I agree, he doesn't like that. Why would you... Clock stop, clock stop, clock stop, constantly for commercials. Come on. And those commercials are longer and longer and longer. Now, supposedly, that's going to change a little bit, Jason Gay says. This season, the clock will no longer stop for first downs, except for the final two minutes of each half, and coaches will be restricted on back-to-back timeouts. Well, 
Jason Gate admits that these are pretty petty grievances when you think about it. The entire, in light of the fact that the entire college football landscape has dramatically changed. 100-year-old conferences are being decimated. People moved around like shelves in a dresser, drawers in a dresser. Um, no particular loyalty to the institutions or the leagues or the traditions, all about the money and then all about the ultimate, hopefully, big prize, the bowl money. And then, of course, the players are getting played, paid in the collective. And, of course, name, image, and likeness allows them to get individually paid. Wow. 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 Well, the U.S. Open started today. I just want to give you an idea how much money is involved in the world's largest tennis tournament in that bet percenter, arguably, of the universe, and that's New York City. Djokovic was banned from it last year because he wouldn't take the COVID shot. But he's back this year. And it's going to be some of the most fantastic tennis you have ever seen. Plus, the men go the best three out of five. Brutal. If you're still standing at the end of this tournament, you are one heck of a man. The women are still going two out of three, but you're still doing really well as a female athlete. Don't get me wrong. These are the best athletes in the world. And everybody at that tournament, spectator, I've been to it several years, has a cell phone. It is amazing. You can't see anybody walk in the grounds who doesn't have a cell phone from all over the world, all over the world. Now, the champion of this tournament this year, one champion, men will get, or women, equal pay, will get $3 million. The runner-up will get half, one and a half million. If you make the round of 128, in other words, you get by qualifying and you get into the first round of the U.S. Open, you make $81,500. Now, the doubles teams, and there are some very good doubles teams, the champions of that will get 700000 so <clears throat> the U.S. Open has constantly been increasing also the player per diem for all competitors. Travel vouchers of $1,000 have been introduced. All players now receive either an additional hotel room or see their hotel allotment doubled from 300 to 600 a day. A 300 won't hardly get you anything anymore. So uh, players are also seeing an increase in meal allowance as well as racket stringing for all players. Very important. I've been to the stringing area at the U.S. Open, and it is very impressive. Guys stringing rackets constantly. Several, I don't know, maybe a dozen people in there doing it. So... This assistance is going to be provided to all players, both in the main draw and in the qualifying, and men's and women's singles, and men and women's mixed doubles. And there's another part of this tournament, wheelchair events. There are some fantastic wheelchair tennis players, and they participate in the U.S. Open in the quad wheelchair events right along with the others. The U.S. Open is going to be played from today through September 10th. So it is one fantastic event. You can't escape it. DirecTV is running it on mixed channels all over the place. And uh, you'll be watching some great athletes. A couple other things to tell you about 
I'll repeat this. Uh, Gunnar Paulson, a local, well, he's a friend. He was also on the school board. He was also a Gator football player. He was also a coach at Buholtz, coach at Gainesville High, I believe. On Thursday at 3.30, that's August the 30th, is going to have the Buholtz weight room dedicated in his name. I'll repeat that on Thursday if I don't forget it. But I know Gunnar well, like the rest of us, uh, he's getting there in the twilight of our years. But it's a nice gesture to have the weight room named after him. I'm going to talk just for a moment as a preliminary about, once again, the city of Gainesville. Uh, right after our weather, uh, we're going to talk with a, um, a lady who has been involved with not only historic preservation and is vice president of the Micanopia Historic Society, involved all through the county, but also knows the city budget real well, pretty well, knows the people who run the city, has interactions with them, and has been, as long as I've known her, very much involved in preserving the character of Gainesville. You know, Gainesville, once upon a time, had a fantastic courthouse, a beautiful courthouse. Tore it down. Tore it down for this sterile concrete block county administration building we have downtown. That is always the argument. When my friends and I in our generation began to try to preserve downtown Gainesville, we had to fight with the city fathers to even be able to put an awning over the sidewalk in front of 12 East. It's a tough struggle. And we're going to talk about it after the break of the weather. But let me just give you a couple of things about Gainesville. Travel Maven, an organization called Travel Maven, has declared that Gainesville is the poorest city in Florida. Now, some people right away who disputed that. Well, what do you mean? What, do you, what about these rural counties? Well, the rural counties don't have cities. We have a city, a city of Gainesville. And there is a analysis done through a recent census data, which includes the poverty rate, the median household income, and the unemployment rate. And that's how they created a list of the poorest cities in each of the 50 states. The poorest city in Florida, are you ready? Drumroll. It's Gainesville. Gainesville with a poverty rate of 26.9%. That's the highest out of any other community in the state. Now, I asked some people about those numbers. The people who, the old timers, told me that in 1978, there were 25% of Alachua County's children, according to the Chamber of Commerce, living below the poverty rate. Now, this is a city that spends money like a drunken sailor. And I don't know if anybody else is getting it. Audio delay, Ken Hilliard's in Atlanta. I don't think they are. Are we production? Anybody getting an audio delay? I don't think so. Yeah, I would say, Ken, refresh your connection, sir. I'm watching him in the chat line. Um, according to the article and research by Travel Maven, um, the Gainesville, and I don't really think it's a surprise to a lot of people, is um, got 26.9% of the population living below the poverty line. This is kind of interesting. The average poverty rate in Florida is 13.1%. Um, amazing. The city has come in at the top half of the list of poorest communities in the country at number 16 on the list, meaning it is poorer 
than most other cities in the United States. Now, obviously, all these numbers have been ignored if you take the testimony of the people who knew the poverty rate for children in 1978 for low these many years and will continue to be I probably unaddressed. You know, we know that over 50% of this community of Gainesville is off the tax rolls because of government buildings. So the rest of us have to carry that. Well, those elitists at the university don't feel it. Doesn't bother them. And they're the ones who run the city. So what can you say? There you are. You can check out this full list. It's published at Yahoo Finance. So I bring that to you because the city just said it was going to eliminate jobs. But there have been numbers run by people. And a lot of the jobs that they were going to eliminate were already vacant. And so you're eliminating something vacant. So that along with the ripoff of the biomass plant or the GRU, all the above, has been clearly a sore thumb for a lot of people in this community. And finally, the governor had to step in. So when we get back in a moment from our break, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the hurricane and bring in our guest, we'll talk about what is the character of Gainesville? You know, what should we preserve? And what does it cost to do it? And why not do it? I mean, we've got we've got a situation where uh, we've got a courthouse that was torn down. We're going to break right now for the weather. We're right back with Ward's weather, and then we'll have our guest. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Attention all Gator fans, Meldon Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Two nights stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and a football signed by Coach Billy Napier, and much more. Go to the Meldon Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. 
Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward's Weather by Golly, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Chevron stations, fossil fuel, ain't nothing wrong with that. And I love the fact that Wendell Lewis sticks to her guns. Great supporter for our show. Support the people who support us. Support all these people who want to keep a community conversation going on, both locally, statewide, and nationally. Anybody can pile into it and share your ideas with us, and we'll certainly welcome them. We may not agree. You may not agree with us, but you're going to get a fair shake. 79 degrees right now, according to my computer, getting up to 94 today. But the big story for those of us here in this area, and I see people watching from Mississippi and Atlanta and places like that right now on the show. We are in the bullseye zone, my friends, it appears, of a name of a storm I can't even really say. Let me look at it again or on the computer. Adelia. Oh, wow, that is really something. Uh, it's supposed to come through here, according to what I'm looking at right now, tomorrow about 4 p.m. Well, fortunately, that's not in the night. When these storms come in at night, it's harrowing. Tornadoes, lightning, more so than the hurricane itself. We are expecting a big wind event and rain event coming right over the top of Cedar Key, Suwannee County, places like this. This doesn't happen too often when we get the full bunt. Plus, the hurricane is getting ready to go out over the warm waters of the Gulf and eventually is predicted to be a Category 3 hurricane. So we're going to broadcast tomorrow. I don't know about Wednesday. We'll have to see. There's a lot of power could be knocked off. Uh, we run on generators, backup generators here in uh, the Warthog Command Center, but we also can lose the Internet over which we won't have any control. So we'll let you know how we're doing. Stay tuned. My next guest and I go back. We were just talking on the break. I don't know. I don't want to admit how much time passes and how fast it passes at Melanie. But we go back about 50 years. I, I, I just, I'm taking a gulp of my coffee on that Melanie. Melanie Barr, ever since I've known her, has been absolutely the lady to go to about historic preservation. I don't know how many projects she's been involved in. I don't even know how many have been successful or not successful, but I know that she's one of the strongest advocates of maintaining the character of a community. If I can twist her arm enough, I'm going to get her to talk about the Southern monuments before this show is over, which may surprise you uh, what she feels about them and what she's engaged with the community about with them. So Melanie, it's great to have you. I know right now you are wanting to talk about the fact that the Gainesville City Commission is meeting today. And I suppose, Melanie, on the agenda will be the discussion of the very piece of property, um, the Thelma Bolton Center, that you are currently working on. So bring us up to date on that story. The Thelma Bolton was actually built in 1942-43 as a serviceman center for soldiers to come and socialize and have some recreation and relax before they went overseas to fight and possibly lose their life. We don't know. But this is this was home to them. They would hitchhike here from Orlando, Jacksonville, Lake City, um, and mostly Camp Blanding because Camp Blanding was... Uh, at the, the time it was built, Camp Blanding was the fourth biggest city in the state. And those soldiers were away from home. They were in barracks. All they saw was men. And it was a bad time for them. So they knew in Gainesville, they'd be welcomed by the citizens. They had a newly built building constructed by the, the federal government, purchased by the, the land was purchased by the city for the soldiers to come socialize. And they made their way here. Well, it has some structural problems. It is 80 years old. Look at people, cars, anything that's old. It's not going to have a good time. 
So there are some problems with it. I don't deny that, but they can be fixed. The city did pay for a structural engineer's report, an architect's report. They can be fixed. And it should be a National Historic Landmark. It's the only one in the state of Florida, and it has great significance from the World War II era. Well, the city's voted to demolish it and keep two walls, and they're calling that partial restoration or hybrid restoration. And I think if you look in the dictionary, the word restoration doesn't say keeping two walls and gutting everything else. This was an extremely significant building statewide. It's a state heritage site. It had... Um, a state historic marker. It's on the National Register, contributing a uh, contributing building to the National Register of Historic Places. Great significance. And because of a few structural problems, the city says, it's time to go. We're going to build a bigger new building. Well, we're in a historic district in the Duck Pond, and we don't want a bigger new building. I don't know anyone advocating for that except the city. So uh, we do have a, over 100 people that are in a little organization called Friends of Thelma Bolton, and people are donating money. We have over $10,000. That money talks that say, when the building's done, we will start supporting this building with our money. Just like the Thomas Center Associates supports the Thomas Center and Dudley Farm and Marjorie Kenny Rawlings House, they have citizen support organizations. We should have had one before now. Never thought of it because it's just... Usually it comes around after a building's renovated. Well, we're trying to get this done now. And we want to show the city we put our money where our mouth is. We're collecting money. And there's no reason to tear down. A, this should be a National Historic Landmark. Well, you know what's so interesting to me about it, Melanie? It sits right there in the middle of the duck pond area. And it's um, it's a fantastic building. I mean, it's got a great stage. It's got, I think those are tongue and groove hardwood floors. Uh, probably the original forest of the state, as so many things were, as you know, and it 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 um, really is kind of a a bookend. Correct me if I'm wrong. The way I think about it, a bookend to the duck pond. I mean, it forms basically the southern border of that whole historic area, which you've worked so hard to maintain. And I have to admit. I was involved in this, too, in the beginning. I was a member of the first historical society board, and um, we had a great house there in that area that was torn down um, before we could stop it. And I suppose if the city wants to tear it down, there's nothing stopping them, is there, except... Well, they, they they had to go through the preservation board, and unfortunately... Some of the members of the preservation board were misinformed. For example, one of them said, I'm going to fight to the death to save the auditorium, but they can tear down that old ugly add-on addition, the wing, the east wing, except the east wing was the most significant building, part of the building, and the city commissioners fought to have it. They wrote to the federal government and they said, we don't want your standard type D building. We want this special building with an auditorium and the wing that's designed by uh, volunteer local architects. And the federal government paid for it. They, the city won. They fought for that building. And every single picture shows the wing. It was never an add-on. I mean, it, it was what the soldiers hitchhiking here saw first. They, this is what they came to Gainesville for. That's the only thing they photographed. The auditorium was never shown in any pictures head-on. You'd see it in the background. Um, the wing is the most important. However, the preservation board voted to tear down the wing and keep the auditorium. Then the city commission keeps saying, well, we're voting the way the preservation board said to vote by um, keeping two walls of the auditorium. And so that's what we're doing. And it's a partial restoration. Think about any building. If you've got two walls, that is not a restoration. And that's not what the preservation board voted to do. Let's talk a little bit about who Thelma Bolton was. <sighs> Well, um, she was a folk storyteller. She had a, a radio show on WGDG that you could hear in Georgia. So it's you can say it's nationwide. She went around the state uh, finding people to play at the Florida Folk Festival, of which she was a founder and a director. And what was interesting is uh, she had to take the Greyhound because she didn't know how to drive. <laughs> so she would go to these rural towns that, that had Greyhound service and someone would have to pick her up and take her out in the woods to find the, the craftspeople and the singers and the whip makers and all that. 
Um, but she was the MC at the Florida Folk Festival, which have hundreds of thousands of people. Really? Attending. Really? Yeah. And that was, I think it's, it's still going on. COVID did stop it, but, um, That's it a great was festival. Very significant festival founder. She taught at Gainesville High. She helped founded, uh, found the Gainesville Little Theater, which is now the Gainesville Community Playhouse. Uh, she was in drama and taught drama and a very significant woman, never married or had children. So this building is her legacy. She was hired to be the program director for the the boys to uh, entertain them the you know get the songs get the barbecues ready the dancing and when the war ended she became the program uh, director for the recreation department and she started teen time here i don't know if any of your listeners i remember can, teen time yeah can remember teen time and a lot of rock and roll hall of famers played there steven stills um bernie uh, ledden don felder uh, Tom Petty may have played. We do know he attended the dances and listened to the bands. But there's disputes whether Mud Crutch played there or not. So I'm not going to say they did. But uh, he definitely walked those floors. And he lived right across uh, the, from the Duck Pond on 16th Avenue. He walked through or bicycle through the Duck Pond neighborhood to get there. And uh, then he'd also go downtown to see his mother. But Tom Petty has his hands all over this area. And he did attend dances there. Well, his uh, probably he was a little young to be have his band there. I'm thinking about Tom and those other guys you mentioned are a little older than he. Right, they were they were five years older. Yeah, I don't think that band was together then. But um, that you know this 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 is a fascinating story. Now, it's also interesting that one set of commissioners was all gung ho for it once upon a time, and now we got a set of commissioners. How much do you think, I don't want to put you on the spot here because you got to go talk to them, <laughs> but how much do they, the story you told me about Old Joe was really interesting. Can you share that? Um, well, Old Joe is what they called the Confederate monument. Right. And in reality, it wasn't an old person. It was a, a young man because so many boys went off to fight. Some willingly, some not willingly, but it was the thing to do. And they did that. And they died way far away from home. Their families couldn't bring their bodies back in the middle of a war. Sometimes they didn't know where their bodies were. So this was a monument to the dead. And it just said, this this boy died. And we had a list of names with them associated with the monument on the, the County Admin Building, which has been removed. And uh, I don't believe in erasing history. And I do think maybe there should be a plaque next to it explaining the context of the times, because what we're thinking about today is not how people thought in the past. Like um, most people think racism is bad and that's what the hope we move forward. Eventually, everybody will realize that it was stupid. Um, so things change. And with old Joe, uh, the change came and people said they didn't want to see it there anymore. And, now we've that's gone. And, well, not and all of them did. I don't want you to get into the names, but the people you told me in the black community who had no objection to it, right, really shocked me. Yeah, some people. I'm very involved with Black History. Have been for over forty years. Um, and some of the leaders in the community at the time said, "It's been there all my life. It doesn't bother me. I just ignore it. It's just part of Gainesville history." That's what they said. It didn't bother them. And in reality, you'll see not that many people came out to have the statue moved. It was really a lot of newcomers, I hate to say, uh, that said, we must remove this. They want to erase history. But you know what? I'm really here to talk about the Bella Bolton. I want to save that building. We'll talk some more about why you can't. Okay. Yeah, um, keep me from doing it. But, well, uh, why why I can save the Bell Bolton? Well, what's, well, you obviously got obstacles. It's not... I have obstacles, which is a city commission, and they have voted to demolish because they claim it has structural problems. Well, let me show you some buildings that have structural problems that were saved. You see, can you see this building? Yeah. So that really looks like a wreck. And then it ends up looking like this. Oh, yeah. See, it can be saved. There's another one. They, we have a, a little sag in the roof. This building doesn't even have a roof. And it looks like this now. So what they're saying can't be fixed. 
is very fixable. All it takes is money. And they have money because they have Wild Spaces Public Places money. And they are going to uh, spend that on a new building. Well, we don't want a new building in the historic district. And in fact, there's a proposed Eastside Cultural Center. Use that extra square foot that they were going to tag onto the Thelma Bolton Center and put that in the Eastside Cultural uh, Eastside District, the Eastside Cultural Center. Use that money, put that there. And that's fine. I do agree with that. We need more cultural centers. People need art in their life. People need to have their brains stimulated by dancing and uh, art and sculptures and gardens. And the humanities are very important. You you would have a very boring, dull, monotonous culture without the arts. And so I do agree, we do need a new building in the east side, but we don't need a new building in the Duck Pond neighborhood. Well, the new building would cost, I mean, the keeping, trying to figure out a way to ask this question. Um, What kind of money would it take from the city, you claim they already have it, to renovate what they've got there now? Well, there's a a plan that's just the minimal stabilization, which it was considered to cost 450,000. Now, as inflation goes, it might be 600,000. So that could stabilize the building and get it open. And some people are in favor of that. I'm in favor of that because it saves the building. But as a preservationist, I really do want it restored. And the minimum bid or the average bid at the time of the report was made was 5.4 million. Now with inflation, it could push to six, six million, but there was grants. In fact, there was a half a million dollar grant from the state, which the city did not apply for, for the Thelma Bolton Center. Oh, really? Yep. And there's also, if it's on the National Historic Landmark, if it gets that status, there's more money, but they did not apply. And they, the city commissioners want it torn down. And they even took down the state historic marker. Here's the the day the county commission paid for the state historic marker. Here's Paula Delaney and Peggy Hanrahan unveiling the state historic marker. It was a great day, big ceremony. Everybody loved it. It declared it a state heritage site. It uh, showed the uh, that it was built as the Gainesville Servicemen's Center, which a lot of people don't know that. Uh, and the other side of the marker talked about Thelma Bolton, who she was, because she it's hard to believe she died in 1992. And so people today aren't going to know who she is. So that marker described her and her work all over the state of Florida with the Florida Folk Festival. And it described the servicemen center and why they came here and what they did and why the building was originally built 80 years ago. We've lost sight of that. That's a World War Two was a significant cultural of. Uh, event in the in the entire world. Everybody's family was affected by it. A- almost everyone. Uh, my grandma had three sons. All three sons went to World War II, and they did come back alive, which was not always the way. But World War II was extremely significant. And by tearing this building down, we're erasing that history. And we were very lucky to have this building in Gainesville. It population of Gainesville was only fourteen thousand, and yet in July of nineteen. 19- 43, 11,000 soldiers visited the servicemen center, the Thelma Bolton. Really? Yeah, really? 11,000. And, and so if you live in a house built before 1943, it's likely you put a soldier up for the night because the Thelma Bolton wasn't a hotel. They would come and socialize, hang out, sing, barbecue, dance. <laughs> and then where'd they spend the night? So, so you know, the more I hear you speak, this is really a veteran's memorial. It is a veterans memorial. Yeah, it's a, sure. it's a it's a memorial to the people who fought for the United States of America. That's true. That's true. And they came fought in for the government of the United States of America. Yep. yep. And here here they are and they came to rest and relax. Gainesville was heaven to them. Hold that up a little bit longer. Yeah. And and the dances were broadcast on uh WRUF across the state and and into Georgia. So it has national significance. The building, the activities there, the shuffleboard court is still there. The barbecue is still there. It's still got its significant attributes. It's national significance. 
It's it's significant for World War II. It's significant for Fellow Bolton. It's significant for the Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. What more can you want? Well, let me ask you a, a little bit. There, there are going to be uh, groups for each one of those entities you just mentioned. But the one that really is the genesis is the veterans. And because of them and their effort at, in the war, we prevailed and have a society. Right. Now, do you think that, well, clearly the commissioners at the time of the war were very, you know, they, they knew this, they understood it. These commissioners, what kind of feeling do you get about their recognition of the role that war played in this culture? Well, you know, most of the commissioners I talked to weren't impacted by World War II. They didn't have a a, a relative. Well, that's my point I'm getting to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. They didn't have a relative in it. Whereas I have my photos of my father in his uniform. And in fact, with his two brothers, I have that a photo of all three of them that belonged to my grandma. But the, so, the, the city commissioners I talked to, World War II really was not of interest to them. They didn't seem to have a relative in it. Some of them didn't remember. Most of them don't remember Thelma Bolton. Some of them, I, they heard of the rock stars' names. <clears throat> and to me, that's very significant as well. But the, the historical significance of the building just went over their head. They were concerned about a, a little bit of a sag in the roof and a crack. And yet, that's solvable. That's solvable. The building walking by it now, it looks fine. It does not look like a building that's about to fall down. And it's been there for 80 years. In fact, they renovated it 23 years ago in 2000. Nobody was talking about stabilizing it then or lack of rebar or whatever. They spent 420000 back 23 years ago, which is, I don't know what the equivalent is now. I'm not, I don't have the little math calculator, but that was a lot of money. And yet they didn't do that part of it. I'm a Melanie Barr who's been involved with historic preservation and has mentioned uh, Hotel Thomas, which um, really was a fantastic piece of property owned by an individual named, I believe it was a Colonel, Colonel Thomas. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He was, he was called Major. Major. Major, Major William Reuben Thomas, although he didn't participate in the war. It was more of an honorarium, honorary, wow. <laughs> honorary title. And really one of the reasons that building stands I know you know this, is because Santa Fe College agreed to use it as a campus. And I think you know this, too. The Gainesville Spring Arts Festival started on the lawn of the Hotel Thomas. Yeah, I attended it. Yeah. And now I was uh, uh, over in the old Buholtz High School, which was a fantastic piece of property. Um, Magnificent. All this was made out of original Florida timber, you know in those days. And I was always jealous, Melanie, of the teachers that were on what we call the East Campus, which was Hotel Thomas, because having been a hotel, their offices had showers. (laughs) 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 You know, we didn't have anything like that. We had cubicles behind the stage. We had a great library there, though, far better library than Hotel Thomas. But because the college stepped in, I was always sad to see that high school go. Now we got this monolithic 720 building. I don't even know if it has a name. It's just named after. Ayers, Ayers Medical Center, or used to be medical. I don't know. It's not Boring, boring thing, mostly empty parking lot. Um, You know, it, it is incredible, you know, what replaced it. But anyway, the fact that the city came along and decided to use that for governmental buildings saved it after we decided to move out to the new campus. Well, Historic Gainesville saved it. Just like we now have Friends of the Thumb Bolton, Historic Gainesville was formed to save the the Thomas Hotel. And they started gathering men, money and members, and they said to the city and the county, let's have a feasibility study to show that this building isn't too far gone and can be saved. You can use it. And it turned out the city did need space. They were already outgrowing the city hall that was just built in 1966. So they, the feasibility study was paid for by the county and the city, just like the Thelma Bolton, the state historic marker was paid for by the county 
and then the city owns it. The city bought it from the federal government after the war and used it as a recreation department. And, you know, when governments come together, they can do great things. And the citizens, citizen support organizations, when you have all three going on, it works. And I think we can do that with the Thelma Bolton. There is money. It's usually they say, oh, we had to tear it down because we didn't have the money. Wild Spaces Public Places has money now, plenty of money. And they've got the money set aside. They have the money pretty much to restore it in full, which it, it's they have five point six million. And it should be a little maybe closer to six million by now. But there was that half a million dollar grant, which they did not apply for that was available. If it gets put on the National Historic Landmark, it gets that status, then there's more money available. And citizens are already donating. I have donations as small as $25 up to several thousand. And we have, we're on our way to $11,000 now. Well, Melanie, where do we go? We've got about three or four minutes left. Do you attend the meeting tonight? Is this on the agenda? How does this work from here on? It's going to be at three o'clock. They're discussing issues that are of interest to both the county and the city. And they have homelessness, housing, gun violence, and the film Bolton. (laughs) Oh, golly, what a lineup. I know. And originally, Thumb Bolton was last. Uh, but now I've heard it's been moved up to second. The meeting starts at three. But each issue prior to the Thumb Bolton Center could be discussed endlessly. Endlessly. Right. So I, you know, I'm going to get there at three. And uh-huh. I don't know, you know, how long they're going to talk. But it, there's there's going to be people putting input into these other topics. So it's going to be a long meeting. But we have to have our say. I think the county commission is on our side in terms of saving it. In fact, Chuck Chestnut said, I don't understand why the preservation board's allowing them to demolish it. My church couldn't even put up an awning because of the preservation board, but the preservation board is allowing the demolition of a significant landmark. So the city wants it gone. The county is supportive of keeping it. So maybe the two can get together and the city will see there's a lot of support across the University Avenue. There's support from citizens. Money is being donated. Citizen support organization is being started. The building should be saved. The Florida Trust even put it up as one of the 11 most endangered buildings in the state of Florida, and they're going to be sending an ambassador to help us try to save it. So it, it seems like everyone wants it saved, except the city commissioners. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Listen, we're going to keep an eye on that agenda this afternoon. That is quite a point. Those are things to discuss that are going to be, oh my golly, just one of them could take into midnight. I know it. Yeah, I mean. Hours. Hours and hours. For of each one. Haranguing and, and uh, you know, talking to hear, as my grandmother used to say, talking to hear their heads rattle. And mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my golly. Well, thanks, Melanie. Melanie Barr, Historic Preservation, been involved for 50 years, I think. I don't want to say really. Well, since the Thomas Center, I remember when the Thomas Center was threatened. That yep. was 50 years ago. I do too. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, and now now it's a great asset. In fact, they have their swearing-in ceremonies there at the Thomas oh, yeah. Center. Oh, yeah. The city uh, loves it now. Beautiful building. Well, thanks so much, y'all, for tuning in and listening and watching. And uh, if you're so inclined to go to government meetings that wind into the evening, uh, you might show up at 3 o'clock if there's enough room. There won't be. Yeah, it won't be. It'll be a packed deal. Well, there you are. Well, Melanie, thanks so much for coming on. Have a great day. And um, I wish you success in your endeavors here. They're, they're in your, these struggles are endless. It's, uh, and, and it's very difficult to win them because yeah. of progress. Progress. You know, they all want to go forward. Right. The progressive, the progressive, the progressive. And they all want to discard the past. Um, they do. Past is where it is. I, I have many photos of all the buildings we've lost. You mentioned the courthouse. The old city hall was lost. Uh, many. Wow. Well, thanks so much for being with us, uh, listeners and viewers. And we'll be back tomorrow. And the storm is coming. Govern yourself accordingly. Be prepared. Get your medicine. The governor has said you may get your prescriptions filled now, even though they may not need to be filled now. No one knows. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. We'll talk to you soon. Warthog Command Center out.